Hashem. Well, Boker Tov to everyone. <clears throat> glad that you are in the house today. I am glad to be with you, and I am glad to be able to share a few thoughts and insights from our Torah portion. want to welcome our first-time guests. I see a few faces this morning that are new. That's not mine. Thank you, though. I um, want to bless you for being here, and so, so happy that you are here. And speaking of new... All the way from the great state of Georgia, who have now moved here officially, we would like to welcome James and Mandy Robinson. Amen. We would like to welcome their two children, the one who's here and the one who's coming, little Paulina, and Mandy is... Mandy is 10 weeks pregnant, so mazel tov to that, Baruch Hashem, hallelujah. So they, uh, they were formerly uh, part of the online mishvaha, and they have made the move from Georgia to the great state of Tejas, and now we're just waiting for the other couple hundred people that watch us online every week, <laughs> waiting for you to get here as well, Baruch Hashem. They're building lots of houses around here, so hey, you know, it's all wonderful. So it's a blessing. And uh, mazel tov to everybody coming from Georgia. Baruch Hashem. So parasha Balach. Balach um, is a wonderful Torah portion about a man and his donkey. As my daughter said, right? I said, honey, what's the Torah portion about? She said, about a man and his donkey. I said, okay, Baruch Hashem. It kind of, it is actually. Let's say the Baraka, and we'll get right into the discussion of this important lessons we can learn. Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, it teaches Torah to his people Israel. Amen. Parashat Balak. Balak was the uh, ancestor of Ruth. He's the king of Moab. Moab was a princess of, of Moab. She wasn't just a, a Moabite-ess. She was actually a part of the royal family. Be, and the reason is because she ended up marrying someone from the line of David who was also part of the royal family. So as it is today, it is, was then, uh, royalty marries royalty. So Ruth is part of royalty. So Balak um, is actually related to Avraham, which is interesting. So why does he want to curse Israel? Well, because lots of different reasons have been presented, but one of the, two of the most, as the Rambel brings down, one is jealousy. Right? Jealousy. It's the reason that the leaders in Judea, the time of the Mashiach, who were not necessarily Pharisees, but they're actually Sadducees, the Sadducees had been vying for the role of high priest, among other offices, but the high priest being the chief office, they've been vying for that office. The Sadducees were made up mostly of the priestly class. And from the time of the Hasmoneans, they, uh, they, had been, they had been sold out to Rome. Some of you may know this already, but Rome bought and paid for that office. So uh, whenever a new Roman governor, governor came in, they would appoint whoever they wanted to be high priest, whoever they felt they could work with. And, and the, the reason for doing that was so that they could control the population. And, there is, and you can read about this, by the way, in the works of Josephus, that they would do this and then um, they would find out that Maybe the high priest they had in office didn't work out so well, so they would boot him out. Then the other high priest, the, the people that were vying for the office, maybe would betray that high priest. And, you know, there's all this kind of treachery. It's all, the, the show's general hospital and as the world turned all come from this episode in history. Okay? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You thought Dynasty in the 80s was something. You should read Josephus and see about this. It's really amazing. <laughs> So, these, so we don't even know, by the way, we talk about the kangaroo court that tried Yeshua. We're not even sure if it was legitimate because we're not even sure if, if Caiaphas was a legitimate high priest. 
According to Torah law, you had to be a son of Abraham, excuse me, son of Aaron, and you were a high priest ostensibly for life, like a Supreme Court justice is today. You, didn't, you, you ceased being a high priest when either you died or you were old enough so that you couldn't carry your function out and you would retire. And incidentally, a new high priest would be brought in. He would be mikvahed. The old high priest would say, I must decrease so that you can increase. Let that sink in and soak in for just a moment. No pun intended. So, so going back to Balak, what, so what's Balak's, Balak's problem? So, so ba- the first century, uh, let me finish my thought over there. So the first century uh, Sadducees, they were jealous of Yeshua. They had bought, they had purchased their power. They had given allegiance to, to Caesar. This is why... When they turned him over to Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate said, listen, he's your king. Pontius Pilate was being somewhat facetious with that. But he said, look, this is your king. And that's why they said, we have no king but Caesar. Because they had already sworn allegiance to him. They weren't, that wasn't like a flagrant flash-in-the-pan statement. They had already planted their flag with Rome. And so Yeshua comes along, and the entire world is going after him. He's attracting, attracting a lot of Pharisees because he is a Pharisee. That's why they're attracted to him. That's why Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was attracted to him because he is a Pharisee. Okay? And so they're jealous of him. It's a dull jealousy. Balak is also jealous because he wants to be king, and he perceives that he sees, as the sages bring out, Balak perceives through prophetic vision that there is going to become a Jewish king from him. Now, you would think that Balak would be happy about this because, after all, Ruth is his daughter. And so from him is going to come the Mashiach. So therefore, he would have a line in the role of Mashiach. But he doesn't want a line in the role of Mashiach. He wants to, re- he, he does, he wants to remain an idolater. He wants to remain a Gentile. He wants to remain a heathen. Whatever, those, all those terms are synonymous, actually. He wants to remain that. And as I've talked about in, in subsequent um, uh, or in, in, in other drashes, that, that if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the times that when, when we resist God's word, when we, re, when we resist commandments in our life, if we really are honest with ourselves and really get down to the nitty-gritty, as we say, um, the, the, really the real reason is, is because we don't want to follow it. So therefore, we look for ways out of it. We look, for, we look for loopholes. We look for ways. And it's because we like our present situation. We want to remain in this present situation, right? It's like when it's time to mow the lawn, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's hot. I'll wait till it's cooler. And then when the sun goes down, well, I need to fix dinner, you know? And then, so, you know, your dinner's done, still light outside because it's summer. It doesn't go to, the light doesn't set, you know, the sun doesn't set until midnight. <laughs> So then, you know, I need to call that. I, I meant to, I've been meaning to call my friend Frank. Let me call Frank before I do that, right? And by the time, you know, it's already dark. Well, I can't wake the neighbors. So, I mean, you know, come on. Nice. Feel, and you, and you, you, all these excuses, but really you just didn't want to mow the lawn, ultimately, right? I need an amen on that. Like somebody say, amen. amen. Praise God. So you have Bilam. Bilam is also a non-Jew, but he is a legitimate prophet of God, which is really remarkable. What's Bilam's problem? Problem. Bilam is in it for the money. He's in it for the money. So we have this, this interesting situation where Balak has sent him people to come curse the Jews. Bilam has said, well, let me go find out what God wants me to do. He has a conversation with God, and God says, stay put. You can't curse them. I bless them. Okay, great. So he goes and tells the people, sorry, I can't go with you. In Balaam's mind, it wasn't because so much he was trying to honor God, but rather he was negotiating for more money. So then they came back with more money, more honor. And he says, I told you I couldn't go with you, but wait just a minute. Let me go find out what Hashem says. That is the used car salesman saying, let me go talk to my manager. He's not really concerned about what his manager needs or wants him to do. He, it's just a ploy to make you think you're getting a good deal. So he goes back and tells Hashem, hey, they're back. 
And what does Hashem say? He says, well, go with them, but only tell you what I tell you to, to say. Then he goes on on his donkey, and he runs into Memtet, I mean an angel. I mean Yeshua. I mean all of that. And, and Yeshua Memtet, the angel, says, I would have killed you. And so in another Midrash, Bilam has an extended conversation with him and says, but, I mean, but God told me to go. So now he's saying, but God told me, here I am. And the answer was, yeah, God told you, but the honest truth is you wanted to go. So it wasn't so much that God told you to go, he just let you go. Which brings us to the moral of today, that there is a point at which God will let you go. So we like to lull ourselves into thinking that God will only allow us to do what he wants us to do, but the reality is, is that he allows us to do what we want to do because there's free will. My wife had just talked, you know, as we were going to the offering, she was talking about this reality of the, uh, the, the, why the angel would teach his Torah and then touch us here, leave this little indention on every human, by the way, not just Jewish humans, but all humans, which means that all humans have been taught Torah, which means that when you come back to Torah, this is why it's so familiar, because it's a return to something you've already been taught. So therefore, when somebody says, well, you know, the Torah is only for Jews, it's not for non-Jews, meaning that, and I would agree on a, on a very technical level, yes, being non-Jewish or Gentile means that you're outside, that by definition means you're outside the covenant. So if you're outside the covenant, then clearly the covenantal rules are not for you. Just like I don't have marriage rules that apply to me with some other lady because I'm not married to her, right? Yeah. Married to my wife. So therefore, the covenantal rules apply between she and I. However, the good news is, is that someone who's outside the covenant, there's, an op- there's a welcome mat, a big red carpet, a big welcome, please come in. We want you to come here, please. You know, so once you come in, then now the covenantal rules apply to you because now you've ceased to be a Gentile and now you are what we call, oh, I don't know, the word is Jewish. And so Hebrew, Israelite, whatever, son of Abraham, that's, it's all the same thing, right? I am an American. I'm a U.S. citizen. All those things, right? It's all the same thing. Texan, you're right. That's technically a higher class, but I'm, but, uh, I'm just. <laughs> but anyway, so this is the reality of the situation, right? So we, these, these covenantal rules are implied to us, and if somebody says, well, they're not intended for the vast majority of humanity, the problem with that is Judaism doesn't really believe that. Now, if you get on a Jewish website, they'll, they'll tell you, well, you know, it's, they'll tell you what, what everybody else is saying. But actually, this is why Jewish literature is important, because if there is an angel that teaches human beings the Torah in the womb and then touches them here, everyone, everybody has this. Everybody has this little indention, right? Now, don't freak people out by going out and looking for it. That's kind of weird, but the <laughs> fact matters it exists on every human which means that every human has been taught Torah, which is why it says in the book of Isaiah that for the man who pursues my Torah, my Sabbaths. It didn't say for the Jewish person. It says for the man. This is also why in the book of Isaiah, it says that we will, God will call all the nations to Jerusalem so that they can learn to walk in the paths of Torah. All right? So I'm just pointing out the fact that this is why it's a return. This is why God, this is why Yeshua walked around and said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. His message at the time he was teaching, he was talking to Jewish people, but then later that message was extended to the entire earth. And he was the one who extended it, by the way, because he said, go out into all the nations and teach them my commandments, what I've been telling you. So when you go out into the nations, it seems kind of odd, like, wait a minute. If I go to Ireland, they're not, they're, they're, they haven't been keeping the Torah, but I'm telling them to repent, which means, which means to return. Return to what? Return to what the angel taught you. Return to what the, yes, what the angel sealed in you. Return to your essence, the essence of who you are. 
I was explaining last night at the Arab Shabbat table that when we, as husbands, when we, when we speak the uh, Eshes Chayil blessing from Proverbs 31 over our wives, every one of those blessings begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to Tav, so that when we speak that blessing over her, we are actually speaking over her the entire Torah. And this is why it's such a critical blessing to the woman, because as we are speaking the bracha over her into in, in, in he, uh, the, the Hebrew uh, tongue, so to speak, and I, you don't have to say it in Hebrew, but my point being is you're saying that blessing, and as a result, those letters are flying into her soul. What's happening is she is being reconstructed. She is the, the, the wall the wall breached, so to speak, through, through trials of life, through the week and issues and stress. The wall gets broken down. And so as you go on Erev Shabbat and you speak that blessing in their life, the, you become a repairer of the breach. Wow. Walls broken down, streets restored. Why, why, by the way, by the way, why am I saying that? Why, why the woman? Because the woman is the house. Well, the woman is the house, right? So these are all concepts from, from Judaism. But so Balaam, he's just in it for the money. It says here, in uh, one, one rabbi points out, that the Slonimer, Slonimer Rebbe says, Balak and Balaam did not mind that the children of Israel learn Torah and perform mitzvot, that is commandments, in principle. Let me just tell you something. This, this a radical thought. I'm, I'm known for saying radical thoughts, not because they're radical, but because they're true and we want to be honest. The Sutton, or the Satan, cursed be he, the enemy, however you want to refer to him, he would love nothing more than for you to just, just, to just be a believer. He would love nothing more than for you or I to just be a believer. If he can get you to just be a believer, he has you exactly where he wants you, which is nowhere. Nice. Because he too and his demons also believe. So now you've joined their ranks. What he is most terrified of is if you become a doer. Because then you leave his ranks and actually join the ranks of Israel. And so Balak and Bilam did not mind that Israel had a mental assent to the mitzvot. What they feared was that they would actually begin practicing them. So that's why the whole issue of, of cursing them. Think back to what Messiah taught and about how he taught about keeping the mitzvot and so on. Nothing he taught contradicted Judaism of his day. What he taught doesn't really contradict Judaism today. So what's their problem? The problem is they were concerned that the people might do it. Understand, they're trying to lead them into the service of Rome, not the service of Hashem. That's the problem. The greatest fear that Rome has is that you'll actually begin living a Torah life. That's terrifying to the enemy. It's terrifying something to think about when somebody tries to tell you that, listen, the Torah is not for you today. Why are they telling you that? Is because they're trying to make you free because the Torah says that it's the Torah that sets you free. There's many examples of that all through the scriptures about how the Torah is liberty. We're going to read in just a second from, from ya Yaakov's letter, but even Yeshua said, who the Son sets free. By the way, remember the Son is the King of Israel and the Son is the Torah, the living Torah, who the Son sets free is free indeed. You say, well, yeah, I'm set free by Yeshua, the, the Son of God, which means the King of Israel. It's a euphemism for the King of Israel. And so, but who is the King of Israel? The King of Israel is the Torah made flesh, which is why the Torah is a Torah of liberty, which is why when you have rules, you actually have liberty. We've said this a, a thousand times here at Sar Shalom, but all one need do is look at the United States. The reason we have freedom in the United States is because we have laws. You don't want to go to jail? There's a very simple solution to go to jail, not go to jail, to avoid jail. Stop breaking the law. It's so simple, right? So simple. People complain about consequences that happen when people break the law, bad things happen, and everybody sees pictures, oh, they're so sad. It's a very simple. So how do we fix this problem? 
Look at these bad consequences. People are being held in captivity, and some people are being sent home. It's terrible. Families are broken up. Well, how do we fix it? Oh, God, we fix it. Stop breaking the law. Yes. That's how you fix it. <laughs> it's the only solution. It's terrible. It's sad. Listen, I know. I visit jails every single week. I'm in a jail. It's, it's horrible. It's terrible. And I see some very tragic cases. And every single one of those cases, somebody broke the law. And it's terrible. And I wish I could help them, but I can't. Some people, you know, you feel compassionate about. And so, but the reality is we break the law, we suffer the consequences. Everybody believes that. Everybody knows that to be true, and God teaches that. So the devil really doesn't want you or I to keep the mitzvah. So they continue. What did terrify them, though? So this having a belief didn't terrify them. But what did terrify them was the prospect of the Jewish people entering into the land of Israel where they would be able to elevate every aspect of material reality, even the very dust of the ground. Do you realize that as Jews, we can elevate the dust to a holy status? What do they, what do they mean when they said that? When these sages wrote that, what do they, when this sage wrote that, what do you mean? He was talking about the fact that the, re, the, the, the offering of the red cow and the sota, those are two mitzvahs in particular that require taking dust from the earth and using it for a mitzvah. Therefore, through, the, through following the Torah, the Jew has the ability through God's word to elevate even the very dust of the ground. We ourselves are made of dust, which means that we have the ability through God's word to sanctify ourselves, so to speak. Of course, we know he, we're not sanctifying ourselves. God is sanctifying us through his word. But you know what I mean? It only happens when we actually apply the word, when we apply the observance. So see, this is another issue of Balak and Bilam. They realize that here's the problem. Not only will they affect themselves, but they will affect the world. They will affect the world. The second greatest fear that, that the Sultan has, cursed be he, is, is the first fear is that you will actually do, the, you'll be a doer and not a hearer only. That's his number one fear. The second fear is that you will sanctify the world and cause others to become doers through your example. That terrifies the enemy. And as a result, he pulls out all the stops to try to prevent you from doing that. And one of the ways he, he, he does is to tempt you by the Yetzirah. Okay? Rabbi Asher Wise, commenting on this, says that from the Jewish side of things, throughout the generations, there have been many who have suggested that if we would only abandon our distinct Jewish mode of dress and our behavior and our mitzvahs, and we would mingle more with the Gentiles. We would become... See, the, uh, the concept of the seeker-sensitive is nothing new. This goes back to the ages. This is where it goes back to, to Hellenism even before that. We want to make Gentiles comfortable around us. So the way that we do is we, we become like them instead of encouraging them to become like us. Right? Can you imagine that? You walk, imagine you walk into a gym. You walk into a gym and you're, out, you're totally out of shape. Unlike me, of course, but everybody else is out of shape. So there's everybody in the gym. There's the trainer. The trainer shows up. He's, he's a nice-looking man. He's cut. He's obviously in physical, good, good physical condition. And he looks at you and he says, hey, welcome to the gym. This is awesome. And you say, you know, I don't really come to the gym. I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't know how to use the equipment, the machines. I see that gorilla over there. I... I'm like a little, you know, papillon compared to that person. I'm feeling a little comfortable. And the trainer says, that's a good point. Everybody stop working out. We're having donuts delivered this afternoon because the way in which to make him feel comfortable is for all of us to become like him. This is a great thing. And everybody says, seeker sensitive Jim, this is fantastic. Everybody, you know how to use the equipment? Forget it. Stop using it. So after a while, when he walks in, he'll see everybody like him with a donut in his mouth and not working out, and he'll feel comfortable here. Why do we have a gym? 
What's the point? But that's not what happens, right? You come in, and what do they say to you? Hey, I know, listen, at first it's hard. Trust me, I didn't get this way by, you know, doing it easy. And that girl over there, he takes medication, so ignore him. <laughs> but this real life person over here, who likes, who likes normal. <laughs> but what do you do? Hey, Kayla, you don't know how to use the machine? Let me show you how to use this. Real simple. We're going to start out easy, right? Here we go. Real easy, real nice and easy, all right? And then after you come for a few weeks, and nice and easy it turns into make it burn. Nice. Okay? Right? Now, I don't want to burn. <laughs> And so the trainer says, okay, stop. No, is that what they say? No, make, work through the burn. Why? Because you want to look like the gorilla, right? So we're going to do this. Do this is how you do this. Take the donut out of your mouth, put it down. Yes. That's how we do it. And we, but, but when it comes to spiritual things, we, we do the exact opposite. We want to make everybody, right? Now, again, when the person comes to the gym, you don't slap 315 on the bench press and put him down there, right? Right? You don't do that. You, walk, you work it slow because you don't want them to injure themselves. They injure themselves. They throw, a, throw a, a, a shoulder out of joint. What good is it? Right? So you, you, you work it slowly and methodically. Over a period of time, they become, you know, they're, 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 they're joining me in the competitions, right? <laughs> so... But so when people come in, you take it easy, slow. We start out with pink weights. You know, the four laws of Acts 15. The four laws. We just put the, the plates of the four laws on there real nice and easy. Oh, I got this. Hey, this is nice. Hey, this works. Oh, look, don't worry. I got the bar for you. It's okay. Because every week you're going to come to shul and we're going to put five more pounds on. You're not even going to notice it. You're not even going to notice it. You'll be like, wow, look, I'm doing great. You're doing fantastic. You're not even noticing I'm putting a two and a half pound plate on there all of a sudden. Look at you. Pretty soon you're benching 350. Didn't even know you got there. 615? That's what I did. Oh, 613. You're benching 613. That's great. That's great. I like it. Benching 613. That's great. That's, I was there at one time. No. I rode on my bench 613. That's what I was. So... So he's saying here, the fact that the, the, Rabbi Wise says the essence of our unique status as the chosen nation, what makes us cho a chosen people? What makes us a chosen people? What makes us chosen is that we are to be a light to the nations. That's what's chosen. And people have forgotten that today. Most importantly, those of us who are part of the chosen people have forgotten that. What makes us chosen is not that, oh, God. You know, you hear people, believers in Messiah, you know, Christian people, God, people that love God, they've been taught things that, that need adjustment. But they, talk to, they meet you in the marketplace, and they say, are, are you Jewish? And you say, yes, I am. And they say, oh, it's so, what a blessing. Y'all are the chosen people. And, I, and I, you, know, you, don't, you want to be nice and friendly. You don't want to like hit them with, with a, a dumbbell, you know. You want to say, yes, we're chosen to reach you, to bring you into the covenant. That's the beautiful thing about it. And then once you come into the covenant, then you're also chosen, like me, to reach somebody else. This is like the great pyramid marketing scheme of all time. Right? So, so uh, we're chosen to be a light to the nations. Now, what's the fuel for the light? Torah. Without Torah, we cannot be a light to the nations. If we're like them, then what's the point, right? So without Torah, we cannot be a light to the nations. And if we're not a light to the nations, then we're not chosen. You're only chosen as long as you're fulfilling the mission. You're not chosen. This is why Yeshua said, please don't think. And not, Yeshua didn't say this, but actually Yochan uh, on the Immersus said this. He said, please don't think that you, just because you call Abraham your father... Because he can bring up children of Abraham out of these stones. So please don't think that. Don't get so haughty that you think, well, I'm a born Jew. So what? It only matters if you've actually come to Sinai and taken the charge, yes. which was, I need you to be for me a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Right? 
And so if we're not doing that, incidentally, the, the, the place in which Reformed Judaism was born, which was, a, was, which was the, uh, the, the seeker-sensitive Judaism, it was born in Berlin, Germany. What else was also born in Berlin, Germany? Reformed Judaism was born in the early 1800s in Berlin, Germany, and the Holocaust started in Berlin, Germany. So see, just because we run from Torah doesn't mean that we get to escape it. And the enemy doesn't care anyway. He wants you dead, right? That's the whole point. So, so the Satan does not want us to live Torah. That's the whole thing in, in a nutshell. He does not want that. In Midrash Rabbah Balak, the, the Tana taught, that is the early commentators taught, that in order for, in order for the Satan, cursed be he, to trick us, he comes, it says here, that he comes down to earth and seduces us then he ascends to heaven and awakens wrath against us, and it is granted him, and he takes away the soul. And, the, and Midrash Shabbat says it in another way. It says, the Satan, cursed be he, dances before the person he's trying to entice and intensifies his urge. So the, first of all, the Satan is a puppet of God, Okay? There's people who get focused on this. The Satan is oppressing me. The Satan is oppressing me. The only reason he's oppressing you or messing with you is because you have opened a door for him, which we're going to mention in just a second. But if you're following Torah and living for God, you're going to have a fairly drama-free life. I mean, life is life. You're always going to have the flat tower, the, the AC that goes out. You're going to have the test that God's going to see to test your character. But in terms of being demonically oppressed, as long as you're following the path, you can't because there's a shield. His angels are encamped about you. He gives his angels charge over you to protect you in your ways, right? When you're following the Torah. And so you have a situation, though, that when we open a door, the Sutton comes and he, he, wants to, he wants to entice us. But here's how he works. Because the, the Sutton, the evil inclination, the angel of death are all the same entity, according to Jewish uh, Judaism. And so what happens is he comes to entice, to entice you, then you sin, then he prosecutes you, and when he wins the case, he's given leave to execute you. That's how it happens. You know, we are going to be remembering here beginning tomorrow. Today is actually the 17th of Tammuz, but because it's Shabbat, we never fast on the Shabbat unless it's Yom Kippur. So whenever a fast day falls on Shabbat, it's always moved to the, to the Yom Rishon, to the Sunday. So we are... We are uh, commemorating the beginning of the three weeks tomorrow with a fast. And the fast is from dawn to sundown. The fast of the 17th of Tammuz, which commemorates the, the day in which the, uh, the tab tablets were broken. But it's also a day in which the, the walls were breached in Jerusalem that three weeks later led to the destruction of the temple. So tomorrow's fast, for those who ha ha can fast, if you need to take medication, take medication. If you're diabetic or hypoglycemic, then eat a little something. Don't have a big meal, but a little something just to keep you level. If you're a nursing mother, you shouldn't fast. If you're pregnant, you can fast. Um, but it's, it's a fast of uh, a complete fast. But I was having a conversation um, and by the way, the three weeks, we also don't listen to music except on Shabbat and so on during the three-week period. Um, during the nine days, we heighten our, our um, morning to include not drinking wine or other alcoholic beverages, including meat, uh, eating meat to include poultry during the Av 1 to Av 9. And there's some other halakha. If you have any questions, please ask me or ask Azek, and we're happy to, to assist you. Please don't go online and read about it. Not because there's not, it's not fruitful, but if you want to know what our halakha is, then you need to ask somebody who's here, okay? Not somebody who's somewhere else. We follow the general halakha of everybody else, but everybody has stringencies that we may not have here, you know? Every, not every Orthodox synagogue is monolithic. That's, what, that's a very important concept. Everybody, not everybody follow, does the same things, okay? But... I had a conversation one time with um, an Orthodox rabbi in Dallas, and I, he's, he's been a long time kind of uh, acquaintance of mine. 
So I, I called him, some, it's been a number of years ago, and I was asking because uh, about the Jewish concept of living by the Spirit by, versus living by the letter, which is a Jewish concept, not a Christian concept, but a Jewish concept. And so it, they're not opposed to each other. They're actually supposed to work in concert with one another. It's not like you can live by the Spirit or by the letter you choose. No, it's like you live by both. And if you live by the letter without the Spirit, then you're, 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 you're not doing anything. And if you live by the letter, the Spirit rather, and you have no, no letter, no practicality to it, then you all equally have nothing. You have to have both, okay? So I was talking to the rabbi about it, and just so happened it was near the, the season of the three weeks. And he was very... Uh, adamant about the topic is how critical it is that we focus on the spirit aspect because in his opinion, Judaism has become uh, obsessed with the letter aspect. And he said, for example, so everybody is talking about all the different things that we're, we're needing to, um, to be mindful of for the three weeks and so on. And people are, he said, there's extremities everywhere. He said, people go to the extreme and everything. He said, but yet we're all still backbiting. And, and so if you think about the, the issue of, of the three weeks and what, what caused the destruction of the second temple, the sages t- tell us, was baseless hatred that we hated without a cause. And I would liken it back, I would linken it back to since we're talking about the, the Sutton curse be he and what he does, is that he entices us to sin. And one of the greatest ways in which we sin is we judge. We make judgments. And we do this all the time. We do it, we do it in the media. We do it amongst ourselves. We judge the situation. And we, we don't have any of the facts. We have none of the information available to us. We don't know anything. We are, we, you know, somebody's charged with a crime, in our view, they ought to get life in prison or worse. We have no idea. And you say, well, sometimes it's obvious. That's true. Sometimes it is obvious. But even still, we should refrain from judging because we're not, you know, something, not to get off track, but something in our country we've completely lost sight of, and that is that we are presumed innocent. But that does not exist in the United States anymore. The presumption of guilt is immediate. It's immediate. Somebody shows up at the office and they get arrested. They're walked out in handcuffs. You have no idea really what's going on, but you assume they're guilty of something. When in reality, the founding fathers of our nation said you should presume that they're innocent until proven guilty. But here's the problem spiritually. The moment that we cast judgment against someone, the Sutton says, thank you, because I've got a case file five inches thick on you. And they go up to heaven, to the heavenly court, and they say, here's the case. And by the way, they've already pronounced judgment on somebody else. So therefore, before you even hear all the facts, I I request that you should cast judgment upon them. And that's what happens. This is why Yeshua taught the parable about the the servant who had been forgiven a great debt and then goes out and demands of his fellow servant a much lesser debt. And he tells the servant, once the master hears about it, says, I had forgiven you such a great debt. Should you not have forgiven your fellow servant such a small debt? But let them take you to the place where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I just want to tell you that we will live much uh, lives that have much less stress in them if we will just withhold judgment. We don't know. We don't know. And, and I'm not talking about just national media things or local media things, but I'm talking about from your fellow, from your brother, your sister, just withhold judgment. We don't know. Presume the best. This is why Judaism strives to say presume the best because we don't know. And you'll find yourself, if you really listen to yourself, it's ridiculous. We'll end up in our rooms talking amongst ourselves about whatever is going on in somebody else's life, and we throw out a hundred different presumptions and possibilities. And most of the time, none of them are accurate. But just know every time we do that, there's somebody take, there's a court reporter taking notes and he's got horns. It's very scary. 
Resh Lakish said, the Sutton cursed be he, the evil prompter, and the angel of death are all one. If God created the evil inclination, he also created the Torah as its antidote. Baba Basra 16a. The reality is, if you study the word of God and apply it to your life, you can't be tempted. This is why the sages say that if you are being tempted by something, let's say theft, you're being tempted to go steal something. You're going through a hard time, so you're thinking, maybe I'll go rob a bank today. You're being tempted. Who knows? You should, you should study passages of Torah that have to do with the laws of, of theft and so on. Because as you study those laws, it becomes apparent that this is God's will for your life. By the way, the, the book, you know, The Purpose Driven Life, very popular book, has, t- has helped a lot of people, would never have been written in a Jewish setting. Because the purpose-driven life is right here. It's called the Torah. We don't need, we've had it for like 3,000 years. And the sad thing is, is that people don't have it, and that's why there's so much turmoil in the world. Midrash Rabbah Balak says, It is a still a choice from where we learn that a man, man is led in the way that he wishes to go. The Ramban writing about this says, the sages taught, from here you may learn, talking about the, 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 the issue of, of Bilaam, here you may learn that a person, wherever a person wishes to go, that is where he is led. Rabbi Trugman says in his writings, however, we, have, we must realize that sometimes those forces that oppose us so terribly, both in our personal lives and in a na- on a national level, are opposing us in direct response to the opening that we have given to them. And in case you're not convinced, even even Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, he he was writing about people who give up their natural uh, affections, a male for a female, and they turn turn over to homosexuality. He even writes in in that letter that, that God has turned them over to the desires of their heart. This is, why it's so, this is why we have to engross ourselves in God's Word. We say engross ourselves in Torah. What we're really talking about is God's Word. Well, the reason we have to engross ourselves in the study of God's Word and the application of it is because we too easily can be led astray and we go around telling everybody that we're being led by the Spirit. And of course, what we're doing is the exact opposite of what the Scripture says to do, oftentimes. And the Scripture is, is the Spirit of God, right? Again, Paul says that again in Romans in chapter 7. He says the Torah is holy, righteous, and good, and in verse 14, spiritual. He, said, he goes on to say, the problem is I'm not spiritual. So we, we go about saying that the, the Lord is leading us in a certain way, and it turns out that he's not really leading us, he's letting us. He, the Lord can either, and see, here's the thing. You know, you say, I want to be led by God. Then follow his word because that's the path he laid out for you. But if you don't want to follow his word, then he will let you go. And that's never good. And we, can, we get convinced that well, this is what God wants for my life. And, and Hashem is shaking his head going, not Not really. It's what you wanted for your life, but I'm not going to force you into compliance. Again, the Midrash Rabbah 2012, it says, and it's, it's, as it is said, if the men came to summon you, arise and go with them. From here you learn that a man is led in the way that he wishes to go. For at first Balaam was told by God, you shall not go with them. But when nonetheless he was so audacious that he expressed his eagerness to go, by the very fact that he asked God a second time, God allowed him to go. And we know that God allowed him to go only because of his audaciousness, for it is written, God's, fl- God's anger, his wrath, flared because he was going, in verse 22. In the footnote there, it says something interesting. Since Balaam had chosen an evil path for himself, God allowed him to follow that path to his own destruction. God knew that if Balaam would go with the officers of Balak, he would sin by making every effort to curse Israel. He therefore forbade him initially from going with him in order to prevent him from sinning and bringing destruction upon himself. However, Balaam persisted in seeking permission to go in the hope that he would somehow succeed 
and persuading God to allow him to go and to curse Israel. At that point, God no longer protected him in accordance with the principles that a man is led in the way he wishes to go, and therefore God allowed him. Another, one more reference to that. It says, thus when granting, this is also from Ben Rosh Bob, uh, 2012. Thus when granting Balaam permission to go, the holy and blessed be he said, wicked one, I have no desire that the wicked would perish. But since you are eager to go to be destroyed from the world, arise and go with them. We see this again in Ezekiel where God says, I have no desire in the death of the wicked. I don't, I don't delight in it. It doesn't make me happy. But at the same time, if I tell you to go left and you insist on going right, I will let you go right and you will be destroyed. But that's unfortunately the, the test that you make. I said, I, I mentioned Yaakov's letter. This is the book commonly referred to as the book of James. But we've, many of you have read this before, but it's always worth um, revisiting. James is talking um, here in the first chapter. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Right? That's how we should be, quick to listen, slow to speak. The sages talk about this too, by the way, that those who, who talk a lot sin often. It's better to be more quiet. Better be kind to encourage somebody. Right? He says, slow to speak. Uh, and slow to anger, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Again, an, another Jewish thought, that anger leads to sin. So if you find that you're somebody who is easily agitated, easily angered, then that is a midot that you need to work on, that I would need to work on if that were the case with me. If somebody's easily, you're easily provoked, you get mad, you have quick-tempered, it's not because you're Irish. It's not, you know, it's interesting. I talk to people and everybody, everybody from whatever background, I am Kenyan, therefore I am feisty. I am Irish, therefore I am mad. I am Spanish, therefore I'm hot-tempered, right? No, it's just because you have an evil inclination to get rid of it. <laughs> Quit blaming it on you. All the, you know, all the forefathers of Kenya are like, we're nice people. <laughs> All the Irish are like, I've, I've always been happy. <laughs> so just be nice. Be a sweet person. So James goes on to say, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word, say word, <laughs> humbly accept the word planted in you. Now when Yaakov wrote this letter, the only word that existed was the Tanakh. That's it. There was no other word. So it's an, it's an impossibility that he's talking about another letter or some other work. To, you know, he's talking about the Torah itself. He's talking about the Tanakh. Be followers of the word. So if we want to get rid of our moral filth and our evil inclination... And understand, he's talking to people that already believe in the Mashiach. He's talking to people all over the world. His letter, by the way, has, if you want to take letters in, in, in terms of authority, his has the most authority of all the letters because this particular letter is written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In other words, it went out to everybody. It was a, it was a blanket email he sent out. It wasn't just a le one letter to a specific group of people dealing with a specific issue at that location, but rather this letter goes out to everybody. So he's talking to people who already believe in Yeshua, and he's saying, listen, you've still got to work on your midot, this moral filth that you have, and the way that you do that is you apply the Word of God. That's the balm of Gilead. You apply the Word of God. Now, how, did, how do we apply it? He tells us because he's a good teacher. He says, do not merely, merely say merely. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You know, there was a time in my life, in the life of Shoshana and I, that when, you know, way back in the day, we were doing all these teachings. We were having uh, Pesach Seders and teaching about the Feast of Trumpets. We're talking about in the late 90s, right? Bef I mean, back in that day. 
doing all this stuff and teaching about it and all these kinds of things. And Hashem spoke to my wife because the wife is the voice box of God in the relationship. That's, that's her role. And, and he spoke to her and said, you, you're teaching about these things and I would kind of like for you to start doing them. Wow. And so we, she brought that to my attention. We took a step back and we said, wait a minute. We're teaching about these festivals and how important they are and all this kind of stuff, but we're not actually keeping them. So we're being deceived into thinking that somehow it's benefiting us spiritually by teaching about them, but not doing Because God did not say, I gave these for you to teach. I gave these for you to do. And by the way, the teaching is only effective when you're doing it. So you, so you can't be a good, I'm just going to throw this out there. You cannot be a good Torah teacher if you're not living Torah. Imagine me as a personal trainer. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you how to work out. Do you work out? I haven't been to the gym in two years, <laughs> but trust me. Right? Can you imagine? You go to boot camp. And the drill instructor shows up. He's never been in the army. Hi, I'm here to train you how to be a, a great soldier. This is fantastic. What do you do in the army? I've never been in the army. <laughs> but, I, I ha, but I have here the book, though. I have a manual. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how to do this. But, but wait a minute. You don't live it? No, I don't. But don't worry. It'll be fine. I'm a really great orator. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he's looking at. Now, real quickly, what is he talking about there? What's the illusion that he's talking about that readers of this who were in the, Torah, who were in the synagogue every week would have picked up on? It's the shiny laver. He walk, the priest, before he goes into the holy place, walks up to a piece of furniture that sits out in the courtyard after, you, after you've passed the altar. Did you get that? So you've, the first stop when you walk into the sanctuary is the altar where the lamb is slain, where the blood is poured out. And once you accept that offering, the very next stop after the altar before you go in to serve God is a thing called the shiny laver. Now, shiny laver, the one of the tabernacle, was made out of the copper mirrors that the women had made. And so they loved God so much. What's the most important thing to a woman? A mirror. Yeah. <laughs> you get into a new vehicle, and the first thing the woman does is flip down the visor. Yeah, it's there. What else we need? Bluetooth, whatever. It's got a light. That's all I need. So the women take, took their mirrors... And they understand they can't just walk down to Kmart and get a new one. Yes. They took their mirrors and they, they, they gave them to the priest. And this, the, we're, we learned that the, the, the shiny laver in the tabernacle was made out of the mirrors of the women. Why is that important? Because when the priest walked out after he sprinkled the blood, his next step was to walk up to the shiny laver and look at himself in the mirror. And if he saw any blemish, he would take the water of the word and he would apply it and wipe the blemish off and clean his hands and clean his feet. And then he would walk in and serve God. So he, the, 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 the writer here, James, is saying that if you walk up to the shiny, if you walk up to the Torah and you look into it, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror. Why? Because the Torah is water. You know, you can see your reflection in the water. You look at yourself in the Torah and you see reflection and then you fail to apply it. That's like somebody who's looking himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. This is what's going on. So he says, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently, listen to this, please. The man who looks intently into the perfect law. Why does he call it the perfect law? Because the law refers to itself as the perfect law. The, he, the man who looks into the, to the perfect law, listen to this next phrase, that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. Another adjective. Why does he say it gives freedom? Because the Torah says of itself that it gives freedom. The sages taught in, the, in uh, Pirkei Avot that instead of looking, the, the word for inscribed on the tablets, that word in Hebrew 
you know, because Hebrew doesn't have vowel points, vowels rather, that same word, the exact same spelling pronounced differently, instead of meaning inscribed like herud, you could say harud, instead of that, that slight change in the vowel, takes that word for meaning inscribed, and now it means freedom on the tablets. So the sages taught, don't, don't read it and say that it's the word of God inscribed on the tablets, but rather read it that it's the word of God freedom on the tablets. So this is why the apostle Yaakov says that if we look into the perfect law, which gives freedom, and he, he, he continues, and continue to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So we relate this back to our Torah portion today where we have Balaam who is looking for a way to walk his own path. And the message to us is don't be like Balaam. Be like someone that, that listens to God and even when it goes against what we want to do, we do it anyway. And we're going to conclude with this because Yaakov's going to give us a great segue into our fast tomorrow. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, not, not a tight rein on somebody else's tongue, <laughs> right? All of us trying to tighten somebody else's tongue, but a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. By the way, I love the fact that he said his religion is worthless because I think in our modern society, we have totally gone haywire with the it's a relationship, not a religion nonsense. That has been so abused in our culture. It is, it's become disgusting. First of all, if you believe in God and you follow any type of activity in relationship to that, that is by de definition religion. So it is a lie to say that you have a relationship, not religion. It's not even honest, okay? But it's been so abused. What James says here is that your religion, and yes, you have it, is worthless if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue. Religion that God, our, he says it again. You know, Yaakov knew Yeshua. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How do you keep yourself being polluted by the world? By following the Torah. I promise you the world's not doing this. So if you follow the Torah, you're going to be not, by definition, not doing what the world is doing, therefore not polluted by the world. But as we go into the fast, let's remember what happened to Balaam. Let's also remind ourselves that the reason the walls of the temple came crashing down, the reason the Romans were allowed to come into and destroy our temple, may it be rebuilt speedily in our days, is not because we lost a battle. It's not because of political oppression. It's because we couldn't control our tongue. And we made judgments against each other. And we made judgments against God. You know, God talks about that in the book of Malachi. He says, you're telling me. I just want to paraphrase what he says in Malachi. You can read, you can read Malachi for yourself. But we actually, in Hebrew, we refer to this as Lashon Hara, right? By the way, can I just add out a little something? If you are a halakha, a member of the Halakha or the Lashon Hara police, I need you to turn in your badge today after the service. We do not have a Halakha or a Lashon Hara police force. And so if you're carrying that badge and you're flipping it out to people, I need you to turn it in to me today, okay? For your own personal safety. <laughs> right? But listen, Malachi says, God speaking through Malachi says, you're speaking Lashon Hara against me. 
because you're going around saying that my word is too hard to keep. Read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. He said, you're, t- you're going around telling everybody that my law is too hard. So you understand? You don't look around the room and wonder who's guilty with this drosh today. Look at, look, let's look at ourselves in the mirror because we're all guilty. We all have a part to play. Every one of us has removed a stone and cast it down from the temple. Think about that. So when you're fasting tomorrow and you're reflecting on that, just remember that it was your hand and my hand that took stones off the temple and cast them down. Because every time we made a a judgment against somebody, every time we spoke evil against somebody, every time we didn't hold our tongue tight, every time we said, your word is too hard, O God, and threw it down, every time we suggested to somebody that nobody can keep the Torah, that's a lie. Now, it's true that we've all sinned, but it's not true that we can't keep from sinning. It's a lie that we can't all keep the Torah. Everybody can. There's not one Torah law that you can't not keep. So every time we said that, we took a a stone from the temple and cast it down. And so what Hashem is wanting us to do is make the teshuva and be people who are being repairers of the breach, building that that wall back up. Does that make sense? But what do we know? What do we know? Hashem, help us, Adonai to be people who build up your kingdom and build up others. And Father, help us to guard our tongue. Help us, Hashem, to guard our hearts and help us to be doers and not hearers only. In Yeshua's name, amen.